Sometimes when I'm set to preach a, a passage of Scripture, the only real thought in my head is, is I, as I think through it and I, I read the passage that I'm going to be preaching on, uh, is don't mess this up. And today as we look at Matthew 5, 21 through 43, if you want to turn there, it's one of those passages of Scripture that as I was working on preparing my sermon, all I could really think is, like, hey, don't mess this up, you idiot. That's kind of that was kind of my thought uh, this week because in this story and in certain stories in Scripture, when when I read them, they're just so amazing and so powerful that I really just don't want to get in the way of it. And uh, this is one of those passages of Scripture we are are talking about over the last four weeks and the next three weeks uh, about Jesus worthiness and perhaps in your life. You have heard something, uh, either one of two things, either that Jesus is worthy of your life. And so you've had like this, this crazy Christian person who is your friend, but you, you love them, even though they're, they're like, hey, I really, I want you to become a Christian and I want you to give your life to this Jesus guy and explore him. And for you, you're like, wow, is Jesus really worth that? I mean, is he worth me giving my life to. And then, and then if you are a Christian, there, there's two things that maybe go through your head. You have like me up here telling you like you need to give more of your life to Jesus and you need to really work at serving him in greater ways. And, and then uh, other, you know, you've heard all your life, if you've grown up in the church, you need to tell other people about Jesus. And I, and I think there's this, this same kind of question. I mean, really, is it worth it? Is he worth it to give my entire life to? And is he worth it to tell other people about, because that requires a great sacrifice on my part, even just telling somebody else about him. You know, I put myself out there on the line when I do that. And so the question, and maybe we don't like to ask it if we call ourselves Christians. I mean, if you're not a Christian, you like asking the question, right? I mean, somebody says, hey, Jesus, you should give your life to him. You're like, really? Should I? I mean, is he worth that? But if you're a Christian, it's a little, you know, we're quieter about that question. I mean, we, we're like, oh man, some, uh, that's because that we make that sound instead of just saying the words, you know. Uh, and so it's this question, is he really worth my life and is he worth telling other people about? And in today's passage of Scripture, it's just brilliant. And I think, really, uh, I could just read it. I'm going to fill in just a few blanks and try to stay out of the way this morning. But in Mark 5, 21 through 43, we see these kind of two stories that are sandwiched together. And, and you look at them and you just... If you're if you're really paying attention, you got to think, wow, Jesus is awesome, and, and he is worthy of those things. Uh, as part of kind of my uh, weekly routine, one of the things I try to do is I try to listen to another sermon. And uh, when I'm in church and I listen to sermons, I do my best to to not analyze and critique. It's really hard when you do this every week, but uh, but when I listen to these sermons online, that's my kind of goal and my purpose is to say, okay, what did this guy do wrong? What did this guy do well? How can I copy him? How can I learn from him? And if I can find one that looks interesting to me uh, on the passage of scripture on I'm teaching that week, then uh, I listened to that sermon. And I did that this week. I found one, and uh, and the guy did a, a really good job. He was articulate, and it was uh, it, it tugged on the heartstrings. And I, I really enjoyed the sermon. And so I'll say that before I say this. I, I really struggled with the sermon, though, because it was on Matthew five twenty one through forty three. And here's what the guy did. He, he preached the passage of scripture that we'll read, and he preached it in a way that talked about people. And he really focused on, his, kind of the whole point of the sermon, is that you may have a situation in your life 
where you think that it's hopeless and you struggle to continue to have faith, but you shouldn't do that because this story that, that's in the Bible. And, and here's where I really just was bothered by it, because when I, I look at this passage we're about to look at, uh, if I at all make this about you, then I messed up the sermon. Uh, this passage is is about Jesus. And I, and I know when I get up here, I need to be relevant to you and you need to be able to apply what I say to your lives. But this morning, that's, that's really secondary to me because this, this passage, it really, when we're done, what I, what I want you to know and to hear and to think about is how amazing the love of Jesus is for you as a person. And hopefully you'll leave and, and you'll apply that to all kinds of areas of your life. But I mean, it's not like the gluttony sermon series this morning. It'll be far from that. I really, uh, I'll have messed this up if the focus is not off of you and onto the love of Jesus. And so this morning, just know that this passage of Scripture says Jesus loves you. And, and here's the deal. This is the other the kind of big important thing before we read it is this. It's easy to think about, for me anyway, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, it's easy for me to think about how Jesus loves the whole world, or how Jesus even loves the marginalized, or how Jesus loves the certain kind of person. And I get that, and we read about that, and we talk about that, and we sing about that, and all of that stuff. But sometimes, really, what's harder is to stop and think and recognize and believe that Jesus loves individuals, of which you and I are one. Jesus loves not just the whole world, and not just kind of this corporate idea of loving people who give their lives to him. Jesus loves you as a person. And in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that love of Jesus and just... I think, and I think one of the most beautiful, aside from his death, one of the most beautiful kind of sandwich stories in, in the entire Bible. And so, uh, if you'll just start with me in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And so, the book of Mark, if you were here last week, then you, then you might remember this. If you weren't, let me catch you up. Uh, what's just happened is Jesus tells this story, these parables, to a, a very large group of people, thousands of people. And it's a cool scene because Jesus had to go out on the boat because there were so many people crowding around him, which makes it very difficult to, to preach or to teach. I mean, if everybody was standing like right next to me, it would be very awkward to teach this sermon this morning, right? And so Jesus goes out on this boat and he teaches these parables and we looked at one of those parables last week. And after he's done with those parables, Jesus goes on the boat in the book of Mark and he leaves and he goes across the lake. And now Jesus is returning. And this is really cool to me. It says that the crowd is there waiting for him when he comes back. And it's really interesting. And we've kind of talked about this to me. But we're looking at these passages of Scripture in the book of Mark where, where it shows that the crowds are just crazy about Jesus and they want to be a part of him. And we've seen so far... That they're there because of the amazing teaching of Jesus, because of the authority that they see Jesus possesses, because of the healing power of Jesus, and because how Jesus loves the unlovable. And here again we see that even though Jesus crosses the lake, for me that's an indication like, well, he's gone, I'm going home. But the crowd sees something so powerful, so profound, so awesome, so amazing in this guy named Jesus that they're there on the other side of the lake just saying, hey, we want to be in your presence again. 
And I really believe, and, and hopefully you're grasping this if you've been around these sermons, that it's so easy for, for us 2,000 years later to just think, well, cool, you know, the crowds were there, no big deal. But, but just kind of think about the first century world. There wasn't YouTube, right? Okay, and so things didn't just go viral. Jesus is just going around talking, and there's, there's, it's not like he put a video on the Internet. It's not like that. Jesus is teaching to people, right? And yet, the word about him is spreading everywhere. He's not a famous musician. You know, he's not one of the, the famous political figures at the time. He's not a famous artist or anything right, like that. And so really, if we would just pay attention to the Bible, it is incredible to think that people are flocking to him from all over the region. I mean, they're traveling from other places to be around this guy simply because of the amazing things that they are hearing about him. And really for me, as we go through this sermon series and we talk about the worthiness of Jesus, I'm just kind of impressed by the fact that so many people who could actually see him and touch him and interact with him were drawn to him in such a crazy way, really. And so if it's any encouragement to you, it's not the main point. But just consider the fact that people who actually could be around him really wanted to be around him. And today, when we, we can be around him only in a spiritual sense, right, we sometimes just neglect that and say, oh, it's just Jesus up there, no big deal. And so the crowds are there and they're waiting, and that's the impression that Mark gives us. And then in verse 22, we read that one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. Now, this is a guy named Jairus, and he is a synagogue leader, as it says there. And there's some very important things for you to understand uh, about synagogue leaders. They would have been part of the religious leaders at the time. The synagogue was basically the church, as I've explained before. And, and so the synagogue leaders were these unpaid guys, but they were the ones who were in charge of the happenings and re- recruiting teachers and things like that, making sure that the music was ready to go. Uh, they were kind of functioning pastors, in a way, over these synagogues in each city. And what's really interesting is that he would have been, Jairus, a religious leader. And if you know the Bible and if you read the Bible, you quickly see that the biggest problem for Jesus while he's alive on this earth is the religious leaders at the time. They are jealous of Jesus and they are bothered that Jesus is teaching things that they don't agree with and that they have taught against the things that they have taught. And so these religious leaders at the time of Jesus really, really dislike him. And this is true of synagogue leaders. In Luke 4, 28 and 29, Jesus is just taught and people didn't like what he had to say. And then we read this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So here is Jesus teaching in a synagogue and everybody there, I'm sure the synagogue leader had to be a part of this, takes Jesus outside and they're about to throw him off the cliff. And then that story, if you want to read it later, is one of the weirdest endings to a story in the whole Bible. It says Jesus walked through him and he left. That's it. It's like, well, okay. Matthew 10, 17 right after Jesus gives a warning to his disciples, his followers, says, Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And so Jesus says to his best friends in the world, he says, Someday the synagogues, the people in the synagogues, are going to whip you. They're going to flog you. Luke 13, 14, and 15, Jesus has healed a man on the Sabbath. And then we read, Indignant. 
Because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites. In Acts 6, we read about the killing of the first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. At the beginning of that story, here's what we see. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. And so the first Christian martyr is killed based on an argument that he's having with some of these synagogue people, members of the synagogue. And so... You see a pretty clear picture in the Bible, right? Jesus has an issue with the synagogue leaders. Or maybe better said, the synagogue leaders have a serious issue with Jesus. They're going to beat his best friends in the world. They're going to make his his job on earth difficult. And probably they were chanting crucify him as Jesus was killed. And Jesus knows how his life is going to end. And he must have known that these people, these religious leaders, these synagogue leaders, were going to, in some way, be a part of it. Could have guessed anyway. And so the expectation, if you just know all of that, when you see this guy named Jairus, a synagogue leader, walk up to Jesus while Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people who want to be healed and interact with him, the, the, the response that I expect is for Jesus to go, Dude, you don't like me. You're not one of my people. I don't like you. We have issues with each other. You're a jerk because you're with those guys. The people you hang out with are idiots. That's what I would have said. And instead, here's what we read. When Jesus, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So his daughter's dying and the guy is desperate and he comes to Jesus, right? And, and still, it's kind of this hanging moment. What's Jesus going to do? And there's a few things that are very important about this guy right here. The fact that he falls down on his face is a sign of utter respect and humility and almost a sign of worship. And so he's saying, Look, Jesus... I get that, you know, my people, maybe you have issue with them and they have issue with you, but but here I am. I absolutely believe that you can heal my daughter. It's this hanging moment, right? I mean, if we just pause there and what is Jesus going to do? I mean, is he going to look at the guy and associate him with all of the people that he hangs out with? Or is he going to do something different? And verse 24, I think, is so beautiful. So just the first phrase of verse 24, and it's just so simple and so beautiful. It says, so Jesus went with him. It's just, it's, it is really powerful to me, honestly, like on a, on a very deep and emotional and profound level. Jesus could have looked at this guy and said, man, you've argued with me before. I don't know if Jairus had argued with Jesus, but you've argued with me before. And I know the guys you hang out with. And there's so many people here right now that are trying to get a piece of me. I have a job to do. I need to heal. Look, I need to heal like hundreds of people that are standing in front of me. So go deal with your daughter. You're not one of us, okay? I'm going to handle these people who are following me around and not leading your synagogues that are going to persecute my friends. But instead, we read, so Jesus went with him. The language even suggests that 
immediately Jesus went with him, without hesitation, without thought, without any any hesitation where he was like, hey, this guy, I don't know if I should be associated with him. Instead, it just says Jesus just immediately just said, hey, I'm going with this guy. And to be truthful, it's it's just, it's mind-blowing to think about it. I mean, Jesus is looking at the crowds, and sure, he loves these crowds, right? I mean, the thousands of people standing around him. But in an an even better way, Jesus loves Jairus and his daughter. I mean, Jesus can look at all the thousands of people and love them, sure, and we all kind of get that right, but, but the greater truth is that in the midst of the crowd, an individual comes to Jesus with a need, and a guy that Jesus had every reason not to like, and Jesus just goes with him. And I want you to see that just in that moment, just in he went with him, we see the love of Jesus for you and for me. Not that Jesus loves those who go to church. Not that Jesus kind of loves the whole world. Not that Jesus loves a group of people who follow him. Jesus loves you like he loved Jairus. But it gets even better. I mean, a, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there... A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Think about the situation. First of all, she's a woman. In our world, women are loved and respected far more than they are, at least in our country, far more than they have been in the history of our own country even, but especially around the world. And you can still see the disrespect for women in the way that they're treated in other parts of our planet. And, and at the time in which Jesus lived, women were, were not respected at all. Uh, they they were just kind of secondary citizens, if even secondary citizens. They, I mean, they were looked at as like not citizens. For example, uh, if a man wanted to get divorced, he wrote up a certificate, but a woman could never get divorced. And then the man could do it for any reason whatsoever. You burned my toast? Well, uh, I want a divorce. I'm going to go find somebody else. This is true. Um, we laugh because we're so disconnected. But think about that for women and the plot and life that they had and the situation. I mean, I need to do everything perfectly. And they couldn't talk to men in public. That wasn't going to happen at all. And in fact, there's a story in the book of John where Jesus is, is showing love to a woman. He's talking to a woman. And, and people are, his disciples are like, whoa, he's talking to a woman. What is going on here? And so women were, were, were nothing. I mean, just to say it how it was, they were there to make men happy. And, and that was it. And, and even more difficult for this woman is that this woman... It's been bleeding for 12 years. It's pretty widely believed and accepted that this is menstrual bleeding. And if you went back to the Old Testament and you read about uh, the menstrual cycle for women, uh, during that time of month, women would be sent outside of the camps because they were ceremonially unclean. And so the woman would have not been able to interact with people. She wouldn't have been able to go to religious services. She wouldn't have been able to hang out with people even. And so she would have been sent outside of the camp. And men who would interact with the woman or other women on their menstrual cycle, they would have been deemed unclean as well. And so then they would have had to go outside of the city. And so what happened over time is, I guess men got smart. Well, if I'm going to interact with you and then I find out you're on your period, I have to go outside of the city. So I'm just not going to really be nice to women or ever interact with them because because I don't want to have to stop my job for the week or anything like that, right? And so this woman, put yourself in her shoes here, tougher for men than for women, but but put yourself in her shoes here. This is a woman who has not had interaction with people probably for a very long time, aside from maybe her husband. I mean, this woman 
for 12 years has been unclean, not able to attend religious services, not able to go to social functions, not able to have, uh, at least in an honest way from her standpoint, to have interaction with the average person in society. And you couple that with the fact that she has this horrible illness, right? I mean, it's not, you got the illness with the, with the social things that go along with it. And this woman is in a horrible place in life. And it says here that she comes up to Jesus. She's there with Jesus. Now, just listen, I mean, this story is, this is unreal. I mean, it's just, it really, I mean, if you don't like Jesus when I'm done with this, then you're not paying attention. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. That's his outer garment. Because she thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth, and we hang there. Again, think about the situation. She has defiled Jesus. Think about that. I mean, by touching him, she has made it like the leper that we talked about a few weeks ago, so that he needs to go outside of town for a while, and he's not able to interact with people. She has touched a man that is not her husband in public. And now she knows that she's caught. And Jesus is looking around. He's found her. And she's sitting there. And she's, she's like, I'm going to tell the whole story. And she's freaked out. I'd be freaked out. I mean, I'm going to be in trouble. People are going to be mad at me. Maybe I'll get arrested because I've broken the law. This guy's going to yell at me. He's going to score me. I'm telling my story in front of all these people. And it's even by today's standards, right? She has an embarrassing illness that people would not feel comfortable talking about in public. And this woman's on her knees in front of Jesus. And she has to be thinking, what is this guy, this powerful guy? I mean, she didn't just touch anybody. She touched a guy that thousands of people are there to hear and listen to and, and touch so that they can be healed. And she has to be thinking, I blew it. I'm an idiot. I should have dealt with my sickness for the rest of my life. What's going to happen to me? And if Jesus went with him, is awesome, then what we read in verse 34 is even more awesome. I mean, Jesus has the whole crowd around him, right? But yet... He knows that something has happened and there's an individual who has come to him in faith and touched him and been healed. And, and he's looking for her and he focuses in. He says, look, I'm going to take my attention off the crowd. I'm looking for this woman. And he finds her. And, and then she falls down and tells this story. In verse 34 it says, He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Isn't that Unbelievable. I mean, he's got this whole crowd around him, and this woman has the audacity to defile him, Jesus, most influential man ever to live. He could have reacted however he wanted, and he looks at her, and, and he says, daughter. I mean, I know when I say this every time when I talk about the, the, the father analogy, but some of you have had bad fathers and you don't understand, but, but really, if we look at a good dad, the love a dad has for his daughter is one of the most special and one of the most awesome things that we can see 
in the whole earth, right? I mean, if you've seen a good father-daughter relationship, then, then it's just an awesome experience to witness. And Jesus, he looks at this woman who's just defiled him. And he just puts the crowd out of his sight. He looks down at her, this woman who doesn't deserve it. And he looks at her and he says, daughter. It's like so loving and so gentle and so kind and so gracious and so utterly amazing that Jesus would do this. And he tells her, hey, your faith is a part of the reason that you've been healed. And then he says, go in peace. And, and it's a Greek word, but it's, it's really a reference, I, I think, maybe to shalom. You've heard that maybe before, the Jewish word, the Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom isn't just like peace, like a good feeling inside of us, like we think of, but it means I want you to go and I want you to have complete and utter health in your, in your soul, in your mind, in your body, in your heart. I want you to be a whole person. And I believe in that moment that this woman comes to what we would refer to as, as salvation. She comes into a relationship with Jesus. And it is, it is stunning that Jesus just says, look, I have thousands of people crowding around me, touching me, but yet when I'm touched by a single person, when they reach out their hand to me, I will stop everything and I will look into their eyes and show them complete, unconditional love, grace, and mercy. It's just amazing. This, I mean, if, if you're not blown away by that, then you're not paying attention to the story. Jesus didn't need to do it. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it because He loves people as individuals. And He loves you the way that He loved this woman right here. Man, it's beautiful. But the story's not over. You need to know how it ends. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? I want to pause one more time there. This will be my last pause, I think. Uh, and that is to say this. The attitude of these people, these servants of Jairus, is probably more fitting than the attitude of Jairus or the woman who has come up to Jesus and reached out her hand and touched him. They understand, hey, this guy's famous. This guy's busy. This guy has a, a lot of teaching to do. He's on a mission. People have needs and, you know, this girl has just died. And so leave the guy alone. I mean, they understand, I think... What the other people maybe should have understood or maybe what we, we should have in our heads sometimes is that Jesus, he could be really, really bothered by the fact that some guy has the audacity to say, hey, I need you, when so many thousands of people needed Jesus. So they look at him and they're like, hey, she's dead, so leave the guy alone. You know, he's got things to do. Isn't that kind of just more fitting? I mean, this is Jesus, the most influential man ever to live still. I mean, thousands of years later, still the most influential man ever to live. Kind of a big deal. And they're like, yeah, he's got things. You know, I mean, just give him, um, give him his space. Let him go back to the crowd. And then Jesus, he's got his out now, right? He says, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. <laughs> he's like, hey... I'm not bothered by you. I love you as an individual, so don't give up on me. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. Oh, now he's really gotten out, right? 
I mean, I'm going home. I got, there's a thousand people. There's thousands of people waiting outside for me. Hundreds of them need healed. So you deal with this, but, but that's not what happens. After he put them all out, he puts them out. I would have done the same if they were laughing at me. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus shows love to one more individual in this story, and it's this little girl. And It says that he, he uses this, this uh, Aramaic phrase, Talitha kum, uh, which means little girl get up. And that's actually a phrase that isn't just little girl get up, but it's more fatherly uh, to a daughter kind of uh kind of statement it's very close it's very intimate it's very kind it's like you would talk to a little girl child and say hey it's okay when they stubbed their toe or something like that and jesus looks at this little girl who's dead and he just tells her in a very intimate compassionate way get up and again i just see this this amazing thing about jesus i mean he could have been in a hurry could have been like, hey, up, got to go, you know, things, people, schedules, got things to do. I, I mean, I, there's people waiting, and they laughed at me, and so just get up and get back to your thing. I can't believe you died. Uh, and instead, right? I mean, that could have been his attitude, just get up. But he looks at this girl, and there's this compassion, and there's kindness, and he loves this little girl. And, and he looks at her, and he uses this phrase, he's like, hey, get up, child. Get up. And then... <laughs> just stunning Jesus fashion he thinks about the fact that she hasn't eaten because of her sickness and that she hasn't eaten because she's been dead and he's like hey get the girl something to eat just think about how focused you have to be on individuals to think about I mean you just raised a girl from the dead Right? I mean, you don't owe her anything else, but yet Jesus in his love for her as a person looks down and looks at the servants and says, Hey, get the, get the girl something to eat. She's probably hungry. And in this story, it's these kind of two stories that are sandwiched together by Mark. What we see is that Jesus loves you. And it's unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable because he's famous and he's influential and all that, but what we believe, and according to the Bible, what we see there, is that Jesus is God in human form. And in these stories, we see that, that God, the person of Jesus, we see that God deeply and passionately cares about you by name. God is not up there going, hey, I got these rules for you guys, and if you listen to me, then I'll love you kind of as a people. But he is looking down, and he is seeing the hurts and the struggles and your sicknesses and your illness and your difficult situations in life and your your hurting relationships and the things that you're going through. And he's like, hey, hey, Chad. I love you and I care about those things. I care about the difficulties that you have as a person because I don't just love people, I love you. And this morning, what I want from you is I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. And for some of you in this room, I think that means maybe for the first time saying, Jesus, I will accept that love. 
And if you keep reading in the book of Mark, something we'll talk about through the Easter season, what you see is that Jesus loved you so much and every single you so much that he died on a cross because he saw the sin in your life, not just the sins of the world, but the sin in your life. And he said, hey, you can't get into heaven and you can't have a relationship with me the way you are. And so, hey, I will take the punishment for that and I'll die on a cross because I love you. Not because I just love the whole world, because I love you, I will die for you. And if you will accept that gift and say, Jesus, I understand and believe in that, and I understand that's the only way that I can have a relationship with you and get to heaven, I accept your love and I give you my love back, then Jesus has given you this, this peace and this joy like he offers to these people in this story because he loves you. And so some of you, I think for maybe the first time, you say, I do believe that Jesus loves me. I believe it, and so I'm going to love him back, and I'm going to give him my life, and I'm going to deem him worthy. I think some people don't understand that Jesus is worthy of their lives because, because they think that Jesus died for kind of everybody, but they forget that Jesus died for them. And when you recognize that somebody cares about you as an individual, it's far easier to say, hey, I'll give, I'll give my life to you. We even do that in normal human relationships, right? The people that, that you say, hey, I'm going to invest in you and I'm going to care about you and I'm going to have a relationship with you, those are people who, who show you love most of the time and, 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 and love you as a person. But people who, you know, are just, uh, maybe they kind of love people like you or, or maybe they don't love you at all. You don't interact with them. You don't want to be around them. You don't deem them, deem them worthy of your time, right? But, but Jesus is not one of those. Jesus is a person who loves you. And so today, if, you're, if you fall into that category, what I would ask for you is that you would just respond in your heart and say, Okay, Jesus, I believe you love me. I see it through these stories, and I'm going to love you back and give you my life. And then there's others of us who are Christians. I'm one of those. And, and, and today, I think it's time for us to just break kind of the corporate idea that, Oh, Jesus loves his church, and Jesus loves the world, and all that, and start to really remember that Jesus loves me. Here's what I think happens for us. We don't deem Jesus worthy because we forget that he loves us as individuals. And what happens is we're like, hey, Jesus loves the whole world, sure, but it doesn't matter how much I live for him because he's got the whole world out there, right? I mean, he's got the whole world in his hands. I sang about it once. And, and so we're looking at Jesus and we're thinking, yes, I understand that you love people, but is it really a big deal if I live for you because I'm one of uh, uh, seven billion people? And so there's lots of people for you to be worshipped through and to be loved back by. And, and so I'll just kind of live my life for you because I want to assure myself a place in heaven and I want that, but... You know, it's not really that big a deal if I sin in this way today or ignore you this week or don't show up to church next time or don't serve the church that you've called me to serve. Or, you know, it's not that big a deal because you've got lots of people out there. And what this passage of Scripture says to you is, no, 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 no. Jesus loves you. And he wants your life. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And he cares about the things that you struggle with and, and that hurt you. And, and he wants your life. He doesn't care if he has 6,999,999,000 people worshiping him. He's going to be bothered by the fact that you're not worshiping him and you haven't deemed him worthy. You see, sometimes we think, oh, Jesus got the whole crowd, man. I mean, he's got the whole crowd. And Jesus is looking down, I believe, at a lot of our lives and saying, wait a minute. I have the whole crowd except for you. And I want to have a relationship with you. And so some, some of us, some of us in this room need to just kind of chuck the, the idea that, that Jesus just loves the whole world. He does, but we need to chuck the idea that he just loves the whole world or just loves Christians. 
we need to remember that Jesus loves us and allow for it to change the way in which we interact with Him and the way in which we live our lives. And with that, I believe that that Jesus is worthy of telling other people about. Because when you think about the people in your life that don't know Jesus, that don't understand His love, it's easy to go, well, yeah, Jesus wants everybody to know about Him. But no, 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 time out. Jesus wants the person you're thinking of to know about Him and the love that He has for them. Jesus doesn't just want the whole world, the crowds, to know about the love that He has for them. He wants your best friend to know. He wants your your mom and your dad to know. He wants your cousin to know. He wants the people at Starbucks to know that He loves them. He doesn't just love the crowd. He doesn't just love the whole world. He loves them as individuals. And He's looking down and He's like, Hey, you, I loved you so much that I died for your sins. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to interact with you. I want you to be in heaven with me someday because I love you. And so if you fall into the first category, the second category, man, I I just want you to to know and remember this morning. And, And not just know and remember, but to know and remember and allow it to change your life. That Jesus loves you as a person. And you should respond to that. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Um... I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask that all your eyes are closed. And maybe you've seen this in church before. I don't usually do this, but I really feel like this is an important, an important sermon. I think they all are, but but I really feel uh, like I said that, that that people need to respond to this today. And so as I as I pray, I'm just going to pause for a moment. And I'm going to ask: Do you believe? And are you remembering this morning that Jesus really loves you? And do you want to respond to that love this morning? And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and and, and this is what's going to happen. I'm not just going to be like, hey, I feel good now because Jesus used me. That that's uh, that bothers me in some churches. Um, but, but what's going to happen is I'm going to find you through the course of this next week, maybe right after church, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a conversation with you, and we're going to sit around and talk about uh, the love that Jesus has for you and for me. Uh, and hopefully we can be compelled together to move forward and so will you will you bow your your heads and and close your eyes with me and and right now if maybe for the first time you believe that jesus loves you as a person will will you raise your hand up and right now if if um if you are a person that that's been a christian a long time you kind of know jesus loves you but You've kind of forgotten that he really cares about your life and the way that you're that you interact with him and that he wants a personal relationship with you. Will, will you just put your hand up in the air? Jesus, I pray for these people who have put their hands up, Lord. God, you know that for me. Uh, what changed my life was the night, God, when I really realized how much you loved me. And I, and I just pray, Lord, that, that this morning as they're realizing that and they're thinking about that, Lord, that that you would just, just, uh, just blow them away even more with your love and your goodness, God. And God, I pray that that they would be touched in a way that their lives would be forever changed, God. And not because they leave here going, I need to do more, but because they leave here going, wow, Jesus loves me that much. I love him too. Lord, I pray that uh, 
that God, that every person here, even if they didn't raise their hands, would know and remember how much you love them. Lord, I don't know what else to to pray this morning uh, because it's so simple. When we know how much you love us and we believe in that, then it causes us to respond, Lord. And I, I just ask that all of us would know it and remember it. And I pray these things in your holy, wonderful, loving name, God. Amen.